Amen. Appreciate that, Hannah. We're going to look in Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. And you should have a copy of the lesson there. If you don't, you can slip your hand up. The men will bring that by to you. <laughs> we have in Acts chapter 26 the Apostle Paul uh, standing before King Agrippa. And I uh, just entitled the lesson, A Convicting Witness. And our text verse is verse 28. We're going to kind of read that and then just go back and go through the chapter and highlight some of the verses and try to gain some practical application about Paul's witness here before uh, King Agrippa. In uh, Acts chapter 26 and verse 28, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. A convicting witness, uh, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. I don't know about you, but there's been many times when I've witnessed to someone, shared their faith in Christ, uh, brought them to a place of about ready to pray and ask the Lord to save them, and then they say no right at that point. And it's just, it's a hard thing to accept. And I've seen people with conviction on their face, weeping. And then say, no, I can't do that right now. And that's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with as he faces King Agrippa. He's given him a good witness and a good counsel about who Christ is and what it was necessary in order to be saved. But yet King Agrippa does not trust Christ as a savior. He stops just short of receiving the Lord. Uh, there's two great men here in this chapter. We have the Apostle Paul. And we have King Agrippa. And two great men are challenging each other with both a spiritual and mental intellect. Uh, Paul, we're going to see in a few moments, will acknowledge the wisdom of Agrippa. And certainly Agrippa is willing to acknowledge Paul's understanding of spiritual things. And we have these two strong men facing off, as it were, in this debate about who Christ is and what is necessary in order to be saved. So what a great witnessing chapter to help us understand uh, how, some simple principles and how we can lead people to Christ and be a testimony of the grace of God. So number two in your notes there, just in verse one and two, we see the confidence of Paul. And notice in verse one, it says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth his, the uh, hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I uh, shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of, of the Jews. And so we see the confidence of Paul. Here, Paul is a prisoner at this point. Paul is being brought uh, before King Agrippa because of accusations that had been made against him. And uh, King Agrippa acknowledges that Paul, he extends to Paul the privilege of being able to speak up for himself. And Paul's response, I just love verse 2, I think myself happy. <laughs> and uh, he, he's in a very persecuted situation uh, he's incarcerated. Uh, I mean, all they have to do is to, to, to say to execute him, and he's dead. And Paul says, I think myself happy. And I, I think it's a good witness, a good testimony for us that in the opportunities that God gives us to be a witness and be a testimony, just be happy in the Lord about it, whatever the situation may be. It may be somebody that's ready to receive the gospel, 
maybe somebody that's aggressively against the gospel. It may be in a situation that you did not create or desire to be in, but it's an opportunity to present the gospel. So just, I think myself happy. And uh, the confidence of the Apostle Paul, and he says, because I'm going to be able to answer uh, concerning the things uh, before the the touching all the things whereof I am accused of of the Jews. So Paul's in all these accusations. Uh, He was ready and willing and confident that he could give a sound answer to King Agrippa. So he was accused of several things. He was accused, first of all, by the Jews uh, that he was against the law. Now, the Apostle Paul, my goodness gracious, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Uh, As touching the law, he was blameless. I mean, if there was anybody that uh, you could not really uh, uh, justifiably accuse that they were against the law of God, it certainly wasn't the Apostle Paul. And uh, so here are the Jews, as you read chapter 24 and chapter 25 of Acts, uh, you find that they are accusing Paul of being against the law of Moses because of the fact that he was presenting to them faith that had to be in Christ, in Christ alone. So they accused him of being against the law. They accused him of it being against the temple. Now, how important was the temple to the Jew? That was a place of worship and a place where they would gather and offer their sacrifices, and yet God does not dwell in temples or buildings built by man's hands. And uh, Jesus Christ had destroyed this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. He was talking about his body that was going to be uh, crucified, dead and buried, and it'll rise up again. Uh, Paul would teach and instruct that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And because of all that, here were the Jews accusing Paul that he was against the temple. Not only did they accuse him of being against the law and against the temple, but they accused him of being against Caesar. And really, now as he's standing before King Agrippa, he's going to have to deal with that accusation of being against Caesar yeah, as you get to the end of the chapter, you find that Agrippa and Felix are shocked because of the fact that they are going to technically, by their law, uh, the Apostle Paul could be released. There was nothing to condemn him with all the accusations against him, but he had made an appeal to go before Caesar. And they're frustrated with that thing. They don't know what to do about it. But other than they had to send him to Caesar. And so the very things that the Jews were accusing Paul of, Paul said, I'm confident as I stand before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to give a sound answer concerning all these things. And so we see the confidence of Paul. In verse 3, we see the knowledge of King Agrippa. The knowledge of King Agrippa in verse 3 says, especially because I know thee to be expert, in all customs and questions which are among the Jews, whereof I beseech thee to hear me patiently. So Paul's acknowledging the wisdom or the knowledge that King Agrippa had. He said, I know you understand our Jew- Jewish customs. You understand everything about our religion. And I am confident that when I stand before you and give my defense that you will come to the right conclusion because of the wisdom that you have concerning these things. Who's this King Agrippa? 
Uh, he is the great-grandson of Herod the Great, who had tried to kill Jesus when he was an infant, when Jesus was born. Uh, who is this King Agrippa? His father was King Agrippa I, who had beheaded the Apostle James and arrested Peter. And so here is the Apostle Paul standing before this man who is king and has all this authority and his heritage, his genealogical background, is one that's very aggressive towards Christianity. And, uh, and Paul has to stand and defend himself before them. So Paul, no wonder he would write, if God be for us, who can be against us? And uh, so uh, we see this very convicting witness and just kind of laying out the characters and what is the background here as we uh, see Paul enter into this. First of all, in verse 4 and 5, he starts to deal with my life without Christ is proud. In uh, verse 4, he says, My manner of life from my youth, which uh, was at the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, uh, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion I lived a Pharisee. And so Paul just is making his defense based on the fact of what his life was without Christ. He was very proud. He was of the most straightest sect of the Jews. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a man, literally, according to verse 4, he was, uh, Paul was a man who was well known. And he said, the Jews know who I am. He knows, they know what I was. Uh, they know about my former life, who I was without Christ. They know what my present life is with Christ. Uh, there's nothing hid before them. Uh, I am well known. And so uh, I just think oftentimes uh, uh, we have a tendency to want to kind of shadow ourselves in the crowd, and Paul wasn't like that. He wanted to be exposed. He said, I want everybody to know who I am. I want, to know, want them to know what I believe. I, I'm not embarrassed about what I was because what I was, I am no longer because I am in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, I'm a new creature. And so Paul's testimony before oh, uh, Agrippa was one to acknowledge uh, the awareness of everyone who was accusing him of what his testimony was. So he was well known. In verse 5, we see that Paul was well trained. In verse 5, he says, "...which uh, knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion I lived a Pharisee." And so his religious background... And his religious experience demonstrated that he was someone who was well-trained in the religion of the Jew. He was well-trained in the, uh, uh, the law of Moses. He was well-trained in uh, 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 the Torah. And so he says, now, they, they know that when they're questioning me and accusing me, they know very clearly of what my training and my background was. And so that's a really, it speaks well to us that we ought to be good students of the Word. And we ought to understand what the Word of God says and know how to apply it to our lives. Uh, because people know who we are. They know what our life was. I remember I got saved. And I was saying, I was telling people I 
felt God called me to preach, they were shocked. They were like, you go, you're going to be a preacher? Why? Because they knew what I was before I had Christ as my Savior. And, uh, and so then you get saved and you start studying the Bible. And uh, I remember the Catholic Church was having a fair in Pennsville, New Jersey at the time. And I'll, I'll never forget it. And they applied for a liquor license. Uh, because at their fair that they had every year, they always served draft beer, uh, and they had to apply for a temporary liquor license to be able to do that. And I saw that, and I was fired up about it because I was an alcoholic. God saved me. He delivered me from all that garbage. And uh, um, I wrote an article to the letter to the editor, and my mom was like, don't do that. They're going to come after you and everything. I said, Mom, they're not the mafia uh, you know, I said, somebody's got to stand up and say something about this. As if people do this stuff all the time, supposedly in the name of Christ or defaming the character of our God. So I wrote this article, the letter to the editor on, on alcohol and, and drunkenness and how a religion, religious organization shouldn't be doing this, that, and the other. And, of course, I was driving tractor and trailer. I stopped at a restaurant to get some lunch. I was going through Salem real quick. And there was a girl in there that went to the high school where I went to high school, and she knew me. She came over and she said, Michael, I didn't know you knew so much of the Bible. <laughs> I was like, what? I read your article. Man, I couldn't believe you were giving all these Bible verses in there and everything. People know who you are without Christ. They know who you are in Christ. And Paul's making no apology for who he is. He's saying, King Agrippa, and I'm, I'm being brought up on all these accusations by the Jews. And I just want you to know, they were aware of who I am. They know exactly who I am and who I was. And they know my background and my training religiously. And then Paul's life uh, without Christ was basically one of no spiritual growth. No spiritual growth. All he knew a lot of the, his religion. He could quote a, 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 a portions of the law of Moses. Uh, he could impose what the requirements were for sacrifices and all that. Uh, he could aggressively go after those who were believers in Christ and throw them in prison and execute them. But he himself had no spiritual growth. And so that's why Paul will write so much and reveal so much about the effects of the flesh in a person's life. Uh, Jesus, Jesus said this in John 6, 63, uh, that little number one underneath the letters, Roman numeral C, uh, letter C, the flesh profiteth nothing. All that Paul was in the flesh profited nothing. All that Paul experienced in the flesh brought no spiritual growth. Why? Because the flesh profiteth nothing. Number two there, Paul would write in Romans 7, in my flesh there dwells no good thing. And people could look at it and say, well, Paul was a good man. No, he wasn't. Uh, there's none righteous. No, not one. And Paul was the one who would write uh, revealing the fact that all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. So in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. He would write in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, uh, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh. He's writing and referring to all the frailties of the flesh because he wanted King Agrippa to understand 
in his religious background, religious training, and everything that he had, he had no spiritual growth. And then number four there, he says in Philippians 3.3, 3, we have no confidence in the flesh. Oh, in his, without Christ, he had a lot of pride in the flesh. But when Paul comes to Christ, he realizes there's no confidence in the flesh. All I am is just vain emptiness. All I am is pride bottled up in a worthless of a skin of shell of a man that has no spiritual growth or blessings or reality whatsoever. And so my life without Christ, I'm just simply proud. Uh, number two there in, in uh, verses 6 through 23, he deals with my life with Christ is humbled. And so as we puff ourselves up in pride without Christ, when we come to Christ, we're humbled in his presence. A person gets saved because they're humbled in the presence of God. Notice, first of all, in verse 6 and 7, the expectation is in God, not self. And uh, Paul, the expectation of everything that he was, everything that he could be, was based on himself, his pedigree, his training, his experiences. But in Christ, it's not based on self, but rather is based on God. So our expectations as a believer is we're humbled because of the fact it's about God and not ourself. Notice in verse 6, there's a past promise, a past promise. He says, now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto my fathers. He's just simply saying this. They're accusing me because we all as Jews had the promises of God from the Old Testament. And the promises of God were fulfilled in Christ. And now because I'm living in light of the promises of God, past promises that I'm being accused because I'm just embracing the things that God said he would do. So past promises. In uh, verse 7, he deals with the expectation in reference to God in the present reality. He says uh, in verse 6, now, now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night, hope to come, for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. And so he says, we, our expectation is that God would fulfill his promises. And in the present, the reality is God has fulfilled his promises to me. And that's the very thing I'm being questioned about, the very expectation that our people long for. It's an amazing, it's just, it's just when you're in it reading, it just, it's like you can sense the frustration that he has uh, because they're just not getting it. Uh, that God makes promises and God fulfills his promises to his people. And so the expectation is of God, not of self. You'll never be satisfied living in the realm of self. You must live in the realm of expecting what God has stated to come to pass, will come to pass in your life. And so expectation is in God, not self. Verse 8 through 12, there's contrition or brokenness or sorrow or heartache uh, over my actions. Uh, notice in verse 8, he says, Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? 
So he's saying this, why, why would we doubt God? And the, the, God had promised that he would bring the Messiah. God had revealed that he would die for the sins of the world. Jesus had prophesied and, and warned and testified of the fact that he would be crucified, he would die, he would be dead, he would be buried, but he would rise again. And yet the very thing that God promised would take place, the people of Israel, the Jew, was doubting the very testimony that God would raise up his own son. And so Paul says, it does, does it seem to be an incredible thing? Does it seem to be a strange thing that the God who created and gave life, who has said that he would raise up life, could actually do that? And so they were doubting, and Paul was under great conviction and contrition in his heart because he had lived a life of doubting the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You cannot be saved in doubting the resurrection of Christ. You have to believe in the resurrection of Christ. And so Paul says, Why would we doubt that? Is, does it make that much sense? Uh, is that that difficult and that strange that God would actually do what he said he would do? So why doubt God? In verse 9, he basically is asking the question, why despise Christ? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Because he doubted the resurrection of Christ, doubted that God could bring life, he despised the one who was testified of that he rose out of the grave. Realize that tonight, that when someone gets mad at you because of your witnessing or your testimony or your desire to share with them the love of God, realize this, they're not despising you. They're despising Christ. And Paul's really acknowledging the fact that he was brokenhearted. He was under a spirit of contrition because of the fact that he despised the very Son of God. And then in verse 10 through 12, he just answers the question or asks the question, why demonstrate such hate? Why demonstrate hate? In uh, verse 8, uh, I'm sorry, verse 10 says, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. Uh, when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them, and I punished them oft in every synagogue, compelling them to blaspheme, being exceedingly mad against them. I persecuted them even uh, unto strange cities, whereupon was I... That whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, he said, why, why would we fall into the spirit of such hatred? You know, the whole thing in our country right now, just the venom that I hear coming out of people's mouths, I just feel like saying, where is the depth of this hatred coming from in you? Why such hatred? Why do you doubt God? Why do you despise Christ of all that he's done for you? Why do you allow the despising of Christ to breed in you a spirit of such hatred towards other people? It's an amazing thing. And so Paul, as he's being accused by the Jews, 
He's being accused because of their hatred of Christ. And he understands that because that's where he was without Christ. But now his life in Christ and with Christ is one that he's humbled uh, with a spirit of contrition because of his actions. He was sorrowful for his actions. Then the verse 13 through 15, that brings him to a point of conviction in regards to who Jesus Christ is. Notice uh, verse 13, he, there's a specific time confronted. He says, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And so Paul says, I was confronted. I was under conviction because there was a specific time when I was confronted by God, by Jesus himself at midday as he was traveling down the Damascus Road uh, God would bring great conviction upon him. And uh, when we get saved, people often say, well, I don't, I don't really know when I got saved. Well, I don't remember the day. I remember that it was in my apartment on 7th Street about 2 o'clock in the morning. I don't remember the date, but I know what took place. I knew where I was at. I know what happened. I knew the conviction that came on my heart. And uh, oftentimes uh, people say, well, I just, I don't really remember when I got saved, but I just believe I am saved. My mom told me I was saved or whatever. No, if you get saved, you know it because the spirit of God convicts you. He confronts you. Christ is in front of you and he calls you and brings you to salvation. So the specific time confronted was on the Damascus road at midday. Notice the action that was stated in verse 14. It says, And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking to, unto me, and saying in the Hebrew tongues, All Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the prick. So he wants Agrippa to understand that when he, that his life changed, it was changed because of Christ revealing himself to him. And uh, so there's a literally an action that took place in his life. And God, God wants you, wants everyone to be saved. And when God moves on somebody's heart, somebody's heart, they know what's going on. And uh, King Agrippa is understanding and he's grasping that. And we're going to see his response, which is in our text verse. Uh, the desire of Paul was for him to be saved but Agrippa will turn it down. That doesn't mean he's not being confronted because he is. Paul's confronting him with scripture. He's confronting him with his personal testimony. He's confronting him with the reality of what Christ will do in a person's heart. And then in verse 15 is the person who is revealed. He says, and I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. So there is not, it is not a, a different person or a different way to be saved. Uh, well, I've been doing some research for my message on Sunday. I'm going to be preaching a message on Iran and Bible prophecy. And uh, I didn't realize this, but I just found this out. And as I was doing some research, there's, a whole, there's this whole thing. Of, it's called Chris Lam. I don't know whether you've heard it or not. Uh, but the Pope has met with uh, the I am or whatever they're called, with the Muslims uh, from Iran. And they are building a worship center 
that is Jewish, uh, Christian, and Muslims together, and Mohammed and Jesus are the same. They're both prophets, but they're looking for Mohammed to come. And uh, just, it's a very interesting thing. That whole thing is that's being established that Jesus and, and uh, um, um, Muhammad uh, are equal with each other and all this, that, and the other. And listen, there is no blending together of the different faiths. There is no sharing of authority in reference to salvation through multiple faiths. There's only one way. And when Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road and he asked, who are you? He didn't say, I'm Muhammad Jesus. He said, I'm Jesus who now persecutest. And that's why in the book of Acts, we'll read in Acts 4.12, neither, neither is there salvation in any other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And so uh, the person is revealed. And Paul is not making any apology for this. He is presenting to Agrippa that is Jesus Christ he has to receive and accept as a Savior. So it's very convicting a uh, 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 message that he gives. Notice in verse 16, we have the commission to God, what, what God wants me to do. In verse 16, he says this, but rise and stand upon thy feet. So not only does he tell Agrippa what God did in his heart and change, how he changed his life, but now he explains to Agrippa what God has called him to do. The commissioning, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of these things in which I will appear unto thee. And so Paul is just confirming the very things he was doing is, is following the command and the commissioning of Christ in his life to do so. The Jews may be upset with it. They may be bringing false accusations against him. But Paul is fulfilling the command of his God who changed his life. So the commission. Uh, separation, verse 17, is separation for preparation of service. It says, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto now I send thee. Before God sent Paul to the Gentiles, he separated him unto himself. There's always a time of preparation. God wants us to accomplish his will and his message and his life, but he always separates us unto himself so that we might be able to grow, mature in our faith so that we might be able to be strong. So there's separation for preparation of service. And verse 18 is the sanctification, which is by faith, in order to get uh, uh, to uh, grow in our spiritual life. Verse 18 says, To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. I mean, the message that Paul is giving is so direct and so narrow. 
Uh, he's saying, no, wait a minute, the sanctification is for us to grow and to mature in our faith, and that takes place as God separates us from the world and all those that are around us so that he might prepare us for the work that he has to do because he is the one who has called us and commanded us to go. And King Agrippa, I'm just doing what he told me to do. And then we see the persecution that is a result of the obedience in verse 19 says whereupon O King Agrippa I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem that's important because he was sent from Jerusalem to go and persecute those he was on the road to Damascus road going to Damascus to throw those Christians in prison and so he said I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision but the first thing I did I went to those that were in Damascus and he didn't go there to throw them in prison. He went there to present to them Christ. Went to, unto them that in Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. And boy, I tell you, the Jewish people did not like that because of the fact he is telling them that they've got to get right with Christ. And verse 21 says, For these causes... The Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. The persecution that comes because of obedience to the command of God. And then in verse 22 and 23, he explains to Agrippa his dedication to God's calling in his life. In verse 22 says, having therefore obtained the help of God. I like that because in the midst of all this controversy that's going on, Paul did not neglect or was not willing to ignore the reality that in the midst of it, he was helped of God. He says, having therefore obtained help of God, I continued unto this day witnessing both the small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. He wasn't making up a new message. He was not making up a new religion. He was simply revealing what the prophets and what Moses had said. This is what would happen, and this is what's going to come to pass. That Christ should suffer, and that he should be first, that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. King Agrippa, I want you to understand what I'm being called in question for. I want you to understand what my life is with Christ. I'm humbled because of the fact I am persecuted, I am questioned, I am I'm aggressively attacked, I've been brought with false accusations before you, and all I have done is revealed what the scriptures, what the prophets, and what Moses had stated would come to pass, and that was just simply that Christ was going to suffer, he was going to die and be buried, and he'd rise again, and we need to be saved through faith in his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, and that's what I'm being persecuted about. There's a lot of things we can make people mad about, but it's not worth anything. We just need to give the gospel. We need to live our life for Christ, and they'll have to get mad at Christ. The Jews were attacking Paul because they were mad at his God. So my life with Christ, I'm humbled. My life without Christ, I'm proud. And then verse 24 through 32, my life for Christ is questioned. 
So we go from pride to humility to being questioned. And, uh, and notice the questioning in verse 24 and 25 is based upon, is, full, is filled with misunderstanding. My life for Christ is filled with misunderstanding. It says, and as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. In other words, you're going, you're becoming a lunatic. Uh, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. And so his life for Christ was questioned because it's filled with all kinds of misunderstanding. I remember when I felt God called me to preach. Oh, my goodness gracious. Family was upset. People on my wife's side of the family were upset. They couldn't understand why I was uh, going out to become a preacher. People on my side of the family were upset. What are you going to do? How are you going to live? I mean, you got a good living. I mean, people just didn't understand what it was all about. And uh, Paul is saying, my life with Christ is questioned is because it's full of misunderstanding. First of all, his faith was questioned in verse 24. You're mad. You're, you're off your rocker talking all this stuff. His faith is being questioned. And truth is being confirmed in verse 25. He said, I, I just spoke the truth with soberness. In other words, with seriousness. Uh, over the years, I've had people tell me, you're just too intense. You're too serious. Well, that's what truth does to you. It is, this is serious business. We're talking about life and death. We're talking about heaven and hell. And, and it, this is serious business. The way you deal with a man's soul is going to determine whether they go to heaven or go to hell. I don't know what that does to you, but that, that becomes very serious to me. And every time I stand up and preach the word of God, I understand that I need to give a message that is clear so people can make a decision for Christ. People may misunderstand my life, my dedication, my surrender, my commitment, my zeal. Uh, who knows? But I, don't, I need to show that faith, you may question my faith, but my faith is in Christ and I'm going to communicate the truth over and over and over and over again. So he said, my life for Christ is questioned. It's filled, filled with misunderstandings. Uh, verse 26, he states that his life for Christ uh, is questioned, but it is not in hiding. Notice in verse 26, he says, For the king knoweth of these things, before whom I also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. In other words, you know, I didn't try to hide my life. You know, a lot of times I see churches and they try to uh, manipulate people and they try to put up all kinds of fancy things to try to get people in. They change their names on the churches and, and all this, that, and the other. I, I'll tell you, I don't make any pretense about who we are. We are born-again Christians. We trusted the living God. Jesus Christ is our Savior and we are baptistic in what we believe and how we function and operate according to the scriptures that are laid out. The Bible is our final authority for life, that's how I live, and for practice, that's how we do ministry. And Paul says this, Agrippa, I'll tell you right now, I know this was not hid from you. 
Because everything that I've done, I've done publicly and openly. Well, there's, it's not in hiding. Uh, verse 27 and 28, I've got to wrap it up here. It is convicting. In verse 27, notice the confident reality. King Agrippa, believest thou of the prophets? I know that thou believest. And uh, when I was in personal evangelism, when I was in Bible college, um, we had a book that we used one year for personal evangelism. It was called Drawing the Net. And it basically dealt with all the ways that you approach soul winning, how you witness the people and all that. But what always got my heart was at the end of the whole explanation in this book and everything else, uh, they just simply said this, you have to bring them to a point of making a decision. You just don't witness to somebody and then leave them hanging. Paul did not just witness the King Agrippa and leave him hanging. He confronts him and says, Believest thou the prophets? I know you believe the prophets. I mean, I've led people to the Lord and I've said, You believe this book? You don't even believe the Bible's the Word of God? Well, yeah, I believe the Bible's the Word of God. Then are you going to receive Christ as your Savior? Because to reject Christ at that point is for you to trample over top of everything that you say is written by God from heaven. And so, do you believe that Jesus died? Yes. Well, then are you willing to receive him? So there's a conscious decision in verse 28. Paul confronts him to make a decision in verse 28, King Agrippa. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Just because you confront somebody to receive Christ does not mean they will. And you can't force them to. Don't, don't fall into the trap of saying, oh, just pray this prayer with me and you'll be saved. And especially with dealing with children. Because children will do what adults tell them to do. And I'm of the mindset there's many a child who's unsaved who thinks they are saved because some adult told them, just pray this prayer with me and you'll be saved. And there was no conviction on their heart, no desire to receive Christ as their Savior. And so he presents it, he confronts him, and he said, Paul, you know what? I understand what you're saying, but I, no, almost, almost. So it's convicting. Then in verse 29 through 32, it's bewildering. My life for Christ is questioned. That's bewildering. In other words, it's very confusing. Notice in verse 29, surprised rejection. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. He was surprised. He was shocked that he wouldn't receive them. I used to drive bus in New York City. I used to drive bus when I was in Michigan. I'd be driving bus all over the place. But oh, um, I'd get the chance to be able to witness to somebody. I was always trying to get a conversation going with whoever was sitting in the front seats. And oh, uh, when I witnessed to them and talked to them about things in the Bible, I would talk loud enough in a good preaching voice so that everybody on the bus could hear me. So if they got saved, that'd be wonderful because somebody else might get saved. 
if they didn't get saved, I felt like Paul, I wish he not only did they get saved, but everyone else who heard me on the bus. So he's surprised by the rejection. We ought to be surprised when somebody refuses to receive Christ. I know that that seems to be the norm. People are hard and calloused and they don't want to receive Christ. But it ought to be shocking. When I, when I heard the gospel and understood the gospel and the conviction of the Spirit of God came on me, I couldn't do anything but receive the Christ as my Savior. So he's surprised by the rejection. Verse 31, 30 and 31, there's a determined evaluation. He said, when he had thus spoken, the king rose up and the governor and Bernice and they that sat with them. And when they had, were gone aside, they talked between themselves saying, this man doth nothing worthy of death or of these bonds. Determined evaluation. And then an extended observation in verse 32. Then said Agrippa to Festus, this man might have been sent at liber set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. As a Roman citizen, Paul had the right to appeal his case to Caesar. And they're shocked that Paul would take it to this point. But Paul is going to be able to witness to those, and many will be saved while he's in Rome. And so he appeals to Caesar. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. You will find all true theology summed up into these two short sentences. Salvation is all of the grace of God. Damnation is all of the will of man. King Agrippa died and went to hell. And it wasn't because there was, God did not extend grace to him. It was because he stiffened up his own will against the grace of God and rejected Christ. And if somebody got, dies and goes to hell without Christ, it's their own choosing. Because God sent his son in this world that we might be able to be saved. So a convicting witness. Man, what a great chapter. There's so many things. Every time I read through that chapter, I think of more things that are jot down about what is going on. So... Well, we need to pray tonight. You should.